Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 1997 TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, created and written by Joss Whedon, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, Allison Hannigan, Nicholas Brendan, Charisma Carpenter, and Anthony Stewart Head. To get us started, here is a synopsis. A young woman, destined to slay vampires, demons, and other infernal creatures, deals with her life fighting evil with the help of her friends. Trigger warnings for this episode are violence and death. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We talk about the two-part pilot of this series, and if you care about us giving away anything, go and watch it first. We will be waiting. Anxiously. So this show premiered in 1997, and some things of note from that year. Dolly the Sheep was the first cloned mammal. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was published. After 156 years of British rule, Hong Kong was returned to China. Princess Diana was laid to rest at the Spencer family plot. Something About the Way You Look Tonight slash Candle in the Wind 1997 by Elton John was the number one song, and the number one movie was Titanic. And I was nine. Were you? Yes, I was nine years old. So that would have made you 13. I was prime age for this show, but I never watched it. That's what Dupin was saying. He was like, I'm surprised she didn't watch it. I was like, if you knew our background, it wouldn't be surprising why Laura didn't watch that. There were vampires in it. We couldn't watch it and like kissing and stuff. Because it was evil. And they were kissing vampires. Was it in that order? Vampires, then kissing? Probably. No, no. The kissing was worse than the vampires, probably. Oh, that makes sense. Well, demons, though. Yeah, demons. Hellmouth, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we would not have been allowed to watch this at all. This might be a good time to mention that this episode, we have a guest. Oh, hi, Carl. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Oh, I'm quarantined right now with one of the people from Fatal Femmes. And it's not Laura. No, it's not Laura. Sorry, she had like a mouthful of her, um, what is it called? The Slayer Sucker Juice? No. We'll talk about the cocktail later. Oh, okay. It's good though. I had a I was having my last um delicious gulp. So But yes, for those who don't know, Carl is in fact my husband. And he has also gotten into Buffy because of me. Yep. We rewatched the pilot today and I am now fully on board with a complete series rewatch because I do it about once a year. That's crazy to me. There's seven seasons in this show. I normally don't make it all the way through. Okay. Either that or we, like, skip a few episodes. Like, oh, we remember this one. This one's, like, kind of stupid. We'll skip over it. I mean, I wouldn't use the word stupid. But there are some that aren't as strong. And, yeah, they don't and they don't really factor into the plot. I normally will watch straight through probably, like, the first three seasons. I'll pick and choose a few things out of four. I love five. Five is a great season. Then six and seven get a little wonky, but... Six does have the musical episode. Six has the musical episode, which is its redeeming quality, because that's a really funky season. Yeah. That has some problematic stuff as well. Yeah, this is the this episode that we're going to be covering is the pilot, and I am so excited, because I've been trying now for, I don't know how long we've been doing the podcast, but as long as we've been doing it, I've been trying to get Laura to do Buffy. Yes, and I didn't want to, because I have held off on watching this show for years, and I didn't want to like it. 
so I didn't want to watch it. Now, having watched it, because today was the first time you've ever seen an episode, right? Yes. What are your thoughts? I do like it. I knew that I would. I know that I sound very unhappy about that. Well, it's just a commitment. So good. And the thing is, is because there's seven seasons, the episodes are a pretty decent length. Like you're going to get to live in this world and with these characters for a long time. Because I remember literally having withdrawals after I finished the last episode because the I mean, the last season, again, wonky, but then it's just like by that point, I had been with these characters for so long. And then it's like it's over. But thankfully, there's Angel. So you can get your fix that way. Yeah. And there's also, they wrote a series of comic books, too. Yes, and apparently they're on one of the streaming ones, like HBO or Showtime. The comic books are like, they're not animated, but it's the still picture of the comic books, but they're narrated. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I saw it, I was like, oh, I have the first Buffy comic. Um, That would technically be the season eight, but I think they have season nine and season 10 comics up, and it just continues the story. I read one of Joss Whedon's other graphic novels that he wrote in the Buffy verse um, about Mm -hmm. a slayer in the future. I think it was called Frey. Okay. But yeah, other than that and the pilot that I watched today and then the little bit that I know from like you and just pop culture. Yes, I don't know much. So Laura, I might be jumping ahead of here, but tell me who is hotter, Brad Pitt in Fight Club or David Boreanaz in the pilot. You just called him Bory Anus. That's my <laughs> nickname for him is Boring Anus. I know I didn't know it's call- Borianus. Oh, I thought it was Borianus. Not no. Boring Anus. Like No, that I call him David Boring Anus. Especially <laughs> the first two episodes, like the first season, he hasn't quite found his footing as Angel, so he is a little like he doesn't know what to do with the character. It's kind of like Ricky Bobby where he doesn't know what to do with his hands. David Boringanus doesn't know what to do with Angel in the first few episodes, but once he gets it, oh, oh, it's 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 magical. But who's prettier, David Boringanus or Brad Pitt in Fight Club? It's hard, right? I mean, that is hard. But we, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. We get to see Brad Pitt in Fight Club without his shirt, so you will get to see Angel without his shirt a bunch. But I haven't gotten there yet. Also, how old was he? Old enough. Okay, cool. Yeah, he was definitely over the age of 18. He was discovered walking his dog. Yeah, they they had like a perfect picture of what they wanted Angel to look like. And all the actors that auditioned, they were like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And then one of the guys, I forgot who, was like, hey, there's this guy who walks his dog in the neighborhood that's like ungodly beautiful. You have to check him out. That's literally how he got the damn job. Is that true? Yeah. I thought I didn't realize that's how he got Buffy. I knew that's how he, he got into the industry. I just didn't realize it. Buffy was his first in to the industry. Oh, you might want to check that on. Or you just made up a story. It's a good story. No, I know I didn't make it up. I'm just not sure if that's his into the industry or if that was his into Buffy. Okay. Well, I'm seething inside right now. Yeah, and then Sarah Michelle Gellar was like fresh off all my children. So it's like she was 18 or 19. And they originally wanted her for Cordelia, right? She auditioned for Cordelia, and then Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia, auditioned for Buffy. So they auditioned for opposite roles, and they ended up getting the other one. Yeah. And then um, Mercedes McNabb, who plays Harmony, 
who um, you'll recognize her as the blonde from the computer lab that um, Cordelia, yeah, Cordelia is talking to in the second part. Oh, yes. Um, she auditioned for Buffy as well. And it's kind of fun because uh, Harmony, for a bit character, not to spoil anything, but she has a very long run in the Buffy universe. Oh, well, good for her. I bet that made the actress very happy. She's one of my favorite. Like, yeah, I love her. Yeah, because I mean, like, I, when, and I say universe because it transcends just this TV show. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of fun to see her origin just as, like, Cordelia's sidekick and knowing that I think I can't remember correctly, but I think she might last longer than Cordelia in the Buffy universe. Wow. I'm not saying anything. I am not saying anything about what's happening. I'm talking about the actor, like, how long the actor was on. I'm going to read a little bit of this real quick. Some information I pulled off of Wikipedia and some other sources. Yes. But the series premiered on March 10th, 1997 on the WWWB. So it just um, celebrated its 23rd anniversary. About a month ago, right? About a month ago, yes. And it ran... A month on... ago today. Oh, shit, is it really a month ago today? It's April 10th, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Laura. Oh, and it concluded on May 20th, 2003. The network was called the UPN at that point. Yep. It was one of the things... Um, that really made the WB what it is. Cause I was listening to another podcast that is strictly to vo- devoted to Buffy, but more about them later. And they were talking about the reason that Buffy had a two hour premiere or two episode premiere. And it was because WB didn't have anything besides a two hour spot to fill. Their other big show was Dawson's Creek, which I've never watched either. Yeah. And a lot of people started watching Buffy just because they already were watching Dawson's Creek and since it was on the same network, but um, very, very different shows. So the series follows Buffy Summers in the latest line of young women known as Vampire Slayers or Slayers. The Slayer. To each generation, a Slayer is born. To battle against vampires, demons, and other forces of darkness. But she just wants to live a normal life. But as the series progresses, she learns to embrace her destiny. Uh, It says that the one thing, unlike previous Slayers, she is aided by her circle of loyal friends. And she does have a watcher. Yes, she has a watcher. That's Giles. And and that is what makes her different as a Slayer, because Slayers are often very isolated because of what they do because it's really dangerous for them to have personal relationships because that leaves them open to attack and it leaves people vulnerable to getting killed so slayers tend to be loners because of that and that's something that's different about Buffy and I think that has something to do with the fact that she is kind of the what's the word the the resistant hero what what is that called there's a there's a term for that the reluctant the reluctant hero, because she, because she is, and I think her desire to have a somewhat normal life is why she ends up with a group around her. Like this show, from where it starts, because it starts strong. Like the first two episodes yeah. are just incredible. Season one as a whole, I would say probably it's a good season. You know what? It's a great season. It's a great season. I don't know if it's my favorite. The journey that happens between one to three it becomes a different show yeah i feel like the beginning of season one and then the end of season one are really strong with an okay middle but the middle is like okay enough well because what i think they were trying to do was the monster of the week type shows yeah where it was like every week buffy had a new villain she had to take down it wasn't so much about the overarching narrative but then as later seasons went on you saw more of that instead of like monster of the week it was more about the big bad of the entire season rather than 
little bads throughout the season. Which is what I was reading in an article that's why it's considered one of the greatest shows of all time. Because that didn't happen in 1997. It was very much episodic. Each episode is wrapped up by the end of the episode. Mainly because we didn't have DVR and Netflix streaming and all that kind of stuff. So if you missed an episode, unless you were like me, obsessed with making sure that you had the VCR set up to record, Mm -hmm. you know, if you missed an episode and it was a show like Lost or True Detective, you didn't get to see that episode unless the show got into syndication, then you got to catch up on old episodes. So it was hard to have very serialized shows at that time, but Buffy did it. Yeah. And Buffy would also release like the best of episodes on a two VHS like box set. And it wouldn't have all the episodes, but it would have the main ones that tied the story together for the season. Ah. So you wouldn't even get every episode, but you could. That's basically the only way you could see one that you maybe that you missed. But there's a lot of showrunners that credit Buffy, Shonda Rhimes, Julie Peck from The Vampire Diaries, and the showrunner of Supernatural also talked about how Buffy influenced them. And that can be seen so much, especially in Vampire Diaries and Supernatural, because it follows that archetype very, very closely. I And I think Shonda Rhimes shows as well, because I've watched a few of hers. It's always a good mix of something like the, the subject of the week or the, the conflict of the week mixed with the continuation of a story that carries through the whole season. This was a very popular show, and it as I said, is often listed as being one of the greatest shows of all time, but it was really snubbed by all the awards shows, so it never really won many awards. No, it didn't, and it is the reason that we have Sarah Michelle Gellar, and it's the reason why we have Allison Hannigan. Yeah. This launched their careers, and it's like, and I love every other actor on the show, but it's it is the reason why we have those two actors that and I love both of them well honestly with how I met your mother the showrunners were like well we love Allison Hannigan because Mm -hmm. of Buffy we want to see her so she already had so many ins because of her work on Buffy it's like if you look at her body of work, it's very impressive the longevity of her projects because she was part of the American Pie movie franchise. She was on Buffy. She was on How I Met Your Mother. Very long-running shows, and I think it speaks to her caliber as an actor. Probably her as a person because I don't think you get by on shows like that for that long if you're awful. And now she kind of can pick and choose what she does. Yeah, well, she's had two shows go into syndication. so. That's She probably has more money than she knows what to do with and doesn't have to work again if she doesn't want to. Yeah, and she's married. She met her husband on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But we won't meet him for a few seasons. I can't remember what season he comes on. So there was an article that I was reading and it starts off with, forget hashtag stay at home. During the UK lockdown, I've chosen to hashtag slay at home. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're doing a rewatch of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my gosh, that's a good hashtag. And I think I'm going to be joining them because I love this show if I haven't said it enough. But I love it so much that I can watch it every year because I love the, the world that Joss Whedon created. Like him as a person, he is kind of 
sketch. He's done some not very cool things. But this TV show is just so near and dear to my heart. It just, it holds up, even though it's dated and the clothes and the slang are so funny to watch. And it definitely, as Buffy would put it, carbon dates the show. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it holds up so well and it it can keep engaging you no matter what age or place you you are at in your life. It is very engaging. I do have to say there were some times that I was taken out a little bit by the slang because I was, yeah, my brain was like, what What are they talking about? But then as soon as I caught back onto it and realized, oh, okay, okay, this is what she's saying, I was right back in it. But I, I yeah. do have a question for you. Do you yes. feel like this is accessible to, to today's youths? Well, I'm not a today's youth, so I can't I can't speak for them. But the thing was, is there are things that are older, but they can still speak to a younger generation or a newer generation. Because there were shows that were made in the 70s that I love that just they just translated well. And I think just depending on the kid, it the answer is going to change. But I think if you have a kid, if you have someone that like Supernatural or liked Vampire Diaries, or um, I think now the show is called, what's the show called now? Not the originals, that went off. There's a new one and I can't remember what it's called. Oh, Legacies or the Legacies. Legacies. It's a Vampire spin, vampire Diaries spinoff. But I think if you have a kid that likes those kinds of shows, I think they'll enjoy Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Because it's just, it's all those things that we kind of love. It's the paranormal. It's this young girl who up until that point, girls were not seen in that light. So it's kind of the, the starting point of women, especially teenagers, taking power and taking control. And yes. so I think, I think most kids, if they like those types of shows, would definitely be into Buffy. It's sort of like how, with me, I love Paranormal, I love Supernatural and all that good stuff. I still have appreciation for the original Twilight Zone. Yeah. A lot of it's dated, but I can really appreciate where it comes from. And I'm sure having, I'm sure this generation being into like Legacies, Vampire Diaries, can go back and see one of the original female-identifying lead badasses of all time. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like Buffy should not be, by the way she looks, should not be the hero, should not be the strong one. And she turns a lot of stereotypes and archetypes on their head Yeah, um, in, in the show. I think Buffy is a superhero show for people that don't like superheroes because it, it's very much like a comic. Because if you look at something like The Flash or Supergirl, they're different shows, but there's a similarity there because Buffy is our hero, but she's kind of the anti-hero in a lot of ways. Of course, we haven't met Faith yet. That's the anti-hero probably. Well, we haven't met Spike yet. Yeah, but <laughs> but a lot of things about Buffy seem subversive to what we expect on TV. So I think, I think if you enjoy that, you will find appreciation in the show. I can also say that almost more than, almost more than the, office more than community buffy might have my favorite opening theme song of all time it's so good and it's like in the early episodes it still has like the yeah that leaves later on the but it's iconic and i still sing it on later episodes when that she always sings it in fact she's literally been in the other room and if she hears buffy the vampire Slayer playing she will stick out her head just to do the 
Because I know when it is. It's important. You can't forget. You can't forget that part. Do you want to jump into it? Yes. Let's go. So I will open us up because I love this episode and I think it sets the tone for the whole show. We open on Sunnydale High at night. I can't do that. Oh, I'm trying to give you background music. I can't talk. I can't think while you're doing that because I'm just focusing on what you're doing. I thought that was noise. I was going to say, Lacey, you've got some static. Oh. I do. His name's Carl. That's fair. No, but we open on Sunnydale High at night, and there are some teenagers breaking in, and it's kind of this bad boy-looking douchebag. Sorry to judge, but he does look that way. And this very scared schoolgirl with him. She very much fits the damsel in distress kind of model. This character is played by Julie Benz, who you will know from Dexter and many other shows. So it is this couple that have infiltrated the school because they're going to go make out on the roof because apparently it has a view of the whole town. And the girl's very scared. The boy's very confident. He's like, come on, babe, we're going to go to the roof and do stuff. And she's like, but are you sure? It doesn't seem safe. What was that? I hear a noise. It, it's, it feels like a complete horror movie opening and you think you know what's going to happen that happens a couple times and they have some back and forth dialogue she finally goes something like can you check what that noise was and he goes no one's here and she goes good turns her head around she's full-on vampire eats him and i love it because joss whedon knows the horror genre so well that he's able to turn that expectation on its head and i think that's kind of the show it's like no one expects the pretty blonde girl to be the thing you should fear well especially in 97 like i'm sure that wasn't done too much no it wasn't i i love this opening scene i wasn't expecting her to be the thing that goes bump in the night. And no, I agree with him being a douchebag because he had a line, she's clearly scared or acting scared as we find out. But Mm -hmm. she says, I don't want to go up on the roof. And he goes, oh, you can't wait, huh? Yeah. It's like, read the room, dude. Read the room. No, men don't know how to do that in 97. So I was 100% fine that she ate him. I also didn't realize she was a vampire. I thought she was a werewolf thing because of her face. Um, Yeah, I will say that the vampire's makeup gets better. You just have to um, accept it and tolerate it because it does get better. As well as um, later on, I'm skipping ahead, but when vampires are staked, I have to say in later seasons, it is a much more prolonged event. In this one, it's just like, you know, you barely poke them and poof, dust. Then in later seasons, it becomes more of a thing. I did think that that was really nice. It was like, oh, good, they're gone. You don't have to worry about them getting back up and fighting or like getting directly in their heart. You just stake them anywhere and bye. Yeah, I think as it goes on, because I think, well, because I mean, in the beginning, this show had an incredibly low budget. They just had to make things work and make ends meet. But as Buffy became this cultural phenomenon, they got more of a budget and could do more cool things. But I kind of like it, too, because as the show progresses and as Buffy matures and becomes more of this this warrior, then the villains get tougher, the fighting gets better, because the fight choreography is kind of very um, rudimentary, I think, 
as far as shows go. It's, I mean, I'm saying that having no experience, but just from the way it looks, it does look very staged, kind of predictable. At least in the first episode. Yeah, so it's very basic. But as the seasons progress, you definitely see the fighting getting more realistic and getting more intricate. And I think it's kind of cool in a way because it kind of matches Buffy maturing as this warrior woman. So in the beginning, it's like the big bads, the fighting, the vampire makeup, the dusting, like everything is very basic. And then everything kind of grows up together and glows up. After this initial attack, and we learn that there are vampires in Sunnydale, we are introduced to our I don't even want to use the word heroine it's like she's the hero yeah she's she's our our main character our protagonist yes uh, and I think this ne- this scene is the prophetic dream right and I think it's kind of cool too because when she because she has the dream and she sees all these things and she sees you know the master and graveyards and I don't remember everything else that that's in it but this all this stuff and she wakes up and she's in her room and she's clearly just moved into this house. And so nothing's really put together. And it's really cool because as an audience, you get to kind of move in with her and see the room kind of take shape. That And that will become a huge part of the, of the series. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it is. Because it's like... because. She just moved to Sunnydale with her mom because someone may have gotten in some trouble in L.A., which is hearkening back to Joss Whedon's movie from the 80s, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, They changed a few things. I think they made her, because I think she was a junior or a senior in that one, and they made her a freshman so that she could come in in her sophomore year to Sunnydale. Yeah, um, she apparently burned down the gym because it was full of vampires. And and asbestos. Yes, and asbestos. (laughs) We get to meet Buffy for the first time in her room. And then we get to meet Joyce, who I have a love-hate relationship with, but ultimately love. Yeah, so we get to see some mother-daughter daily life interactions. I do have to say, a lot of the mom characters in the TV in that time period could be really annoying, but she wasn't. I love Joyce. Joyce does do some problematic things later on. I think it's out of a place of love and fear for her daughter, but ultimately... Joyce is it becomes a very beloved character we hear her calling off you better hurry up you don't want to be late for your first day and yeah, so we're getting to experiencing experience all these firsts with Buffy so it's like you really get to see the origin of Buffy in Sunnydale yeah and what a first day it is yeah she, quite ha- she has a meeting with the principal who tears up her permanent record which is only one page and it seems like if she had done all the things that it made out that she did it would have been a longer permanent record but you know he tears it up and he's like a fresh start even if you did do and he you know looks at part of it and then starts taping it back together yeah i love principal flutie because yeah he is willing to give buffy a fresh start because he he truly believes in that for kids but he also sees the severity and the seriousness of why she got kicked out of her school so it's kind of like okay we're you know second chance new start but we're gonna hold on to this Principal Flutie is a very, very nice man. Oh, yes. As she's walking up to school is when we are introduced to Xander, who, Who's of course... riding a skateboard, who never rides a skateboard again. Fun fact about him. Referencing Lacey's other podcast, Art Failure, she asks a question at the end saying, who in history would you want to throw a pie 
who who you want to give a pie in the face to. And I just kind of had the realization, <gasps> mine is Nicholas Brendan. Yeah, specifically as Xander, though. Or is it the, is it the actor or the character Xander? Man, both. Yeah, because Nicholas Brendan has made some choices in his life. Yeah, and just Xander, I... This might be getting too ahead. No, it doesn't get too ahead because Xander's kind of a lot in the first couple of episodes, too. Xander is a 16-year-old boy having his masculinity challenged in the first season. He His character kind of shows what happens when there isn't necessarily growth in the right direction. When experiences make someone resentful and bitter as opposed to growing from it. That's all I'll say. Oh, man, does he pull a Ron Weasley? What uh, What does that mean? In Goblet of Fire, when Ron's really spends the whole book mad at Harry because Harry... He does it like once a season. Oh, cool. Just buckle up. Awesome. Xander, Xander is like one of those, it's like you will always, he's always part of the group. He's always part of the Scooby gang. He's an integral part of the show. He definitely has a lot of moments where you just want to shake him or punch him or put a pie in his face. But then we get to meet Willow. We've just gotten to the front of school. Like, we haven't even gone into any detail. <laughs> so he never rides a skateboard after that? Never. It what? is literally for that scene. It establishes that who Xander is, and then I guess he loses it. Or it's stolen from him because he never rides a skateboard ever again. Cool. Well, he doesn't look like he's terribly good at it because he's going, please move out of my way. I can't stop. Yes. He's kind of that bumbling, lovable idiot at, at, at his best. Him and his friend, Jesse, are talking about the new girl, I, how hot she is, which is Buffy. And Sunnydale, Sunnydale is a very small town at this point. So everyone knows about the new girl because there's only one. In this first day, she does. She meets up with the principal um, for the little talk. She befriends Cordelia or Cordelia befriends her. This is another really good example about how expectations, how the show really, you, you need not to have expectations coming in. Because when you first meet Cordelia, you think she's nice and that her and Buffy are going to be friends. And then... You see right away her just be a total... Wait, we haven't even got into how she met Willow. Because she's already met Willow. Go ahead, Carl. No, that's actually why I brought up Willow. Because literally, Xander skateboards, falls, and then runs right into Willow. And you see that they have a, a relationship. Yeah, they establish their friendship in that scene. That's right. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's when he wipes out. He runs into the handrail on the stairs. Oh, that looked painful. Lands at Willow's feet and he says, Willow, just the person I wanted to see. But we don't find anything else out about her at that moment, right? Yeah, it's just a little bit. Okay. So then she meets Cordelia. You think they're going to be friends. But then right away, kind of when you see her testing the coolness factor which there's a lot in that because she's like talking about like Buffy's opinion on James Spader and I have gone back and forth with this with my friend Dupin because we were both like James Spader was not a heartthrob in 1997 it would have been like a Jonathan Taylor Thomas or a Brad Pitt or depending on the age Morgan Freeman yes it would have been Morgan Freeman so I found it really funny that that was the person that 
Cordelia chose. So I think this is maybe why 30-year-old men or however old Joss was shouldn't write for teenage girls sometime because James Spader is not a heartthrob. I'm just imagining that writer's room be like, like, all right, who's a hot guy? We need a hot guy. This guy's like, well, I, I kind of like James Spader. James Spader! That's who I heard. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was totally... That wasn't 1989. <laughs> that was totally this year. But yeah, and then she's really just completely awful to Willow and makes a comment to Buffy about, you've got to, you know, find the losers so that you can avoid them. Right. She said you have to know them by sight. Yes. So you can avoid them because... Cordelia is very much about being popular and upholding a certain image of herself. Well, it's also one of those things like she tells Willow that, oh, Willow, did you find the softer side of Sears? Which is such a good dig. And Willow's (laughs) like, my mom bought it. Right. (laughs) Except Sears doesn't exist anymore. But it did that time. I know. (laughs) You and I get that reference. Carl will get it. Anybody over 30 will get it. So yeah. I was just, I thought that that was such an iconic burn because it's so specific, generational and otherwise. Just so good. Yeah. And her response is so sad, but it's so Willow. Like it's so non-confrontational. I love Allison Hannigan. She looks like she's 12. These other girls she's so young. look like high schoolers, but Allison Hannigan looks like she shouldn't be there with them. <laughs> Well, yeah, they don't look the same age, but Allison Hannigan was one of the oldest people cast. Wow. Yeah, but I think the thing is, too, is Cordelia and Buffy specifically, because I think that's probably who you're who you're kind of comparing to right now because they have that scene. Cordelia is representative of, like, the popular girl, girls that are very much focused on looks and appearances and things like that. Cordelia, I don't know if they talk about it in the first episodes, but she's very wealthy as well. She very much is dressed and styled. Buffy comes from the same world. The difference, though, is is Buffy has had these life experiences that made her realize that that stuff isn't really going to be part of her life anymore. But she still has the remnants, so the clothes, the way that she dresses and does her hair and her makeup. In a different world, Cordelia and Buffy probably would be friends because Buffy was Cordelia at her old school. Ah. Yeah. Also, Buffy is from L.A., which, you know, is the big city and she's in the small town now. Right. And so Cordelia, because she's wealthy, probably would have more access to that than someone like like Willow, who just is, she is a, a high school student. She's not trying to act older or dress a certain way. She just, she is a high school student who apparently has her mom by her clothes. There is a line that Cordelia has in part two of the pilot that I... I just loved well she has a whole little speech that I love but she says I whenever I go shopping I have to buy the most expensive thing not because it's the most expensive but because it costs the most and I it's like do you get the dis- distinction do you know because it's the same thing well she's not buying something because she doesn't look and go oh that's expensive I got the distinction but now I can't grasp my head around it I think it's more of like, look, I don't want to necessarily buy the most expensive thing in here. It's more of a status. It's like, I want to buy this just because I can, not because necessarily I even want to. Yeah. Right, which I got that, but also I feel like it's that deep, but it's also not that deep for her. Oh, no, Okay, first of all, this is a pro-Cordelia episode, so watch it. I said I love the line. 
Okay, but it is that deep. Cordelia is very deep. She's having a whole conversation at the bronze later about how she doesn't think her mom has Epstein-Barr syndrome. And it's like, who talks about that kind of stuff at a club when they're 16? It's like Cordelia has depth. It's just covered up right now. She also shows up in some of the things that she says. She also tells everybody that her mom can't have that because nobody has that anymore, that it's not fashionable. Yeah, no one has Epstein Bar anymore. Okay. I'm not saying that I dislike her or anything. I'm just... No, but I think you're writing her off as vapid. Well, because that's how she's portrayed in this, the two episodes that I've watched. I don't have your knowledge. All right. We'll keep going. We're really close to becoming fatal femme here if you talk about Cordelia bad again. I didn't talk bad about her. Whatever. I heard you say Cordelia sucks. I'm going to punch her next time I see her. Roll the tapes. Anywho. Yeah, okay. Cordelia is walking Buffy to the library. That's right. Buffy goes into the library, which is so funny because I feel like the positioning of the library changes throughout the seasons, but... For now, it's through these double doors that look like kitchen doors, like in a diner or something. But you go through, and it is the most elegant, well-appointed high school library I have ever seen. I've been in school libraries. They do not look anything like that. They even have, like, the beautiful reading lamps on the table. Buffy goes in to look for books because that's the whole reason her and Cordelia met is because she didn't have a textbook and Cordelia offered to share hers with Buffy. So Buffy's going into the library to find her school books. And there she stumbles upon the new librarian. The very, very British new librarian. Mr. Giles, as it were. Who we also find out is having his first day at work. She says, I'm looking for a book. And he says, oh, yes, you are. And pulls out this giant home there's no other word for it that says vampires on it and has like a lock on the side and i mean this thing probably weighs like 20 pounds yeah it's a very very hearty leather-bound book i love um sarah michelle geller's face at this moment because it completely drops because through this whole thing she's been you know she's had kind of a quip for everything and she you know has handled everything pretty well but then when that book is put in front of her she immediately is like I am not looking for that. Yeah, and she just leaves immediately. Yeah, like, I don't need she, textbooks, nothing. No, she, she, you could say she booked it out of there. <laughs> no, when she says, I am not looking for that, Giles goes through and goes, but you are, Buffy, you are looking for that book. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, because the thing is, is Giles knows who Buffy is. Because even when she comes in, he's like, oh, you're Miss Summers. And she goes, wow. This is a small town. I must be the only new kid. When you understand the relationship to her that he's that he has, you understand kind of why he was like very expectant or was expecting her at some point or his reaction to her. But it, at the beginning, it just reads creepy. And so she's kind of like, okay. And then, yeah, she hightails it out of there. But you get the feeling that this is not over. This is left unfinished. Then there's a dead guy in the girls' locker room. It's the douchey guy from the beginning. At this point, Buffy is sitting next to Willow. She has asked Willow if she can help her get caught up because she's behind in all the classes and everything. Uh, Xander and Jesse come up and so they're all sitting around talking and Xander's making a fool of himself and it's just, it's kind of fun and awkward and just kind of a friend group. The beginnings of a friend group forming. And that's when Cordelia comes up and tells everyone about the oh what did she call him the supreme dead guy or oh what how did she say it I don't I can't remember how she, 
There's something about the dead guy in the girl's locker room. The extremely dead guy. Yeah, the extremely <clears throat> dead guy that was in Aura's locker or something. And Buffy immediately is like, were there any marks? And I love Cordelia's reaction because she's like... Morbid oh. much. Yeah. <laughs> Which it would be a strange thing for somebody to ask if you... Yes, especially a high school student that just started. I mean... In my mind, because of my obsession with detective novels and stuff, I wouldn't have thought that that was strange. But I think nowadays it wouldn't be so strange because everyone has a fascination with murder and true crime and things like that. But at that point in time, it wasn't as widely accepted or popular. So yeah, Buffy's, even though she said, I'm not doing this, I have retired, I'm not killing vampires anymore that was my old life you know her spidey senses are tingling yeah so she goes right into the girl's locker that has been closed down but they just left the body in there covered up with a sheet yeah no cops Completely or unattended anything just just the body there destroyed yeah, like, all kinds of evidence not feel like someone was following protocol yeah and sure so, enough there yep. were marks marks on the neck of the vampire sort so she was talking to Cordelia about the happening things to do in town, and everybody goes to this place called the Bronze. Which, which is in the is bad part of town. A club, yeah. A bad part of town, which is a few blocks from the good part of town because it's a small town. Yes. Which are great directions. You we find don't have a lot of town. Anything that way. She has a really lovely scene with her mom where... You know, she's trying to figure out what to wear and her mom comes in and is like, hey, I think we can really do this. Let's, you know, let's give it a good try. And, you know, they just have a really nice mother daughter moment. But going back, because we did miss something that's quite important, because after she sees the extreme dead guy in the girl's locker room, she goes back to the library to confront Giles. And that's when he tells her that he's her watcher. And she's like, and like you said, she's like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not a slayer. I'm not killing vampires. Because that is what got me kicked out of my own sc old school and made me have to start over. And so they have this back and forth. All the while, Xander was in the library. So he heard everything. And his whole reaction is summed up in just, what? One line. But yeah, then her and her mom do have a an interaction but that's not before she's trying on her clothes and she goes between hello i'm an enormous slut to hello would you like a copy of the watchtower which it that feels so weird when they do things like that with buffy because i think it's like those remnants of her old life and maybe the person she was they just feel really really bizarre because it was like you don't have anything in between between in betwixt yeah yeah it just yeah so it was kind of she's like i used to be so good at this i'm like girl you are 16 but i guess what she's alluding to is before she burned down a high school gym and had to move like, that's a significant point in your life yeah 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 you might be better at putting outfits together before that happened <laughs> one thing but, yeah. i do have to say that i liked was and I haven't seen the Buffy movie, so maybe when she's 16 is when she finds out that she's a slayer. Have you seen the movie? I did. I've seen it once. I can't really remember it. Okay. Because I've always been curious. It's it's a big trope, you know, like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. When she's 16, she finds out she's a witch. What What is it about 16? Like, to me, it's one of those things, like, if you're a witch, you'd have powers all the time. Like, in Bewitched. You know, her little baby daughter was making stuff fly around the room i could see like getting full power like as you come into puberty is like a symbol of the power of womanhood 
maybe. So I was just, that's one thing that I liked about this was that she was already a slayer. It wasn't like, happy birthday, sweet 16, go kill these vampires. Here's a steak, go kill some people, bye. Buffy's on her way to the bronze. Oh yeah, by the way, her mom is totally cool with um, the fact that her 16-year-old daughter is just going to go club it up on a school night. She's like, honey, are you going out? She's like, yeah, I'm going to a club. Oh, will there be boys? No, mom, it's a nun club. Yeah, that was the big thing. She wasn't like, oh, don't drink alcohol or do drugs. It was like, are there boys? (laughs) Well, Joyce knows what's up. She knows the real threat. On her way there, she attacks this guy who is following her. We don't know who he is. He's a friend. But he's a mysterious and handsome stranger that seems to know a lot about her. And he gives her a box, or it looks like a, a, like, velvet bag, and in it is a giant cross it's a jewelry box. Yeah, it's a giant cross. Just, you know, what I expect a stranger to give me in a dark alley on the way to the club. Yeah. So yeah, I... and he also says, tells her that the hell mouth is about to open and the harvest is coming. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because if he hadn't told her that, they wouldn't have known anything. Yeah, because, I mean, she had had the prophetic dream, but she didn't know what it meant. Giles is apparently new at his job, too, because he doesn't have a lot of... I guess he knows how to research in things, but he doesn't have a lot of this information at hand. Well, he knows somewhat about it, but it's kind of like you have to put the pieces together to first know what's going on. Yeah. So Angel... Or I'm sorry. Oop! Slip of the tongue. This mysterious stranger's information kind of set them on the right track because once Buffy starts telling Giles this then he's able to start doing research and figure out what's going on and it's at the club where she's talking to Willow about you know seizing the moment life is short and so because tomorrow you might be dead that's kind of what gets this whole trouble going is Because Willow does seize the moment and gets kidnapped by a vampire. Well, yeah, because Buffy had no idea that that's how Willow would take it. That's how it goes for girls that aren't used to speaking up. It's like they do it once and this is what happens. Yeah. To be fair, she probably didn't know that was a vampire, too. No, but I love it because all the while after Buffy gives Willow this pep talk because Willow's painfully shy, all the while that this is happening, Buffy is upstairs like in the rafters with Giles. That sounds creepy. Yeah, Giles has followed her to the bronze. And I think that is like one of the only times he is at the bronze is because he's gone there to find her because she stormed out of the library. And so he's like, you need to hone your skills. You need to focus your energy. You should know how many vampires are in here. And he's like going on and on. She goes, that one. And he's like, how can you tell? She's like, the way he's dressed, he's like, his outfit is, I think, and that's when she says, um, it's carbon dated and that he looks like DeBarge. And then that's when we see that he's talking to Willow. So immediately Buffy takes off to go get her. Yeah, which that wouldn't work so much nowadays because if you just saw somebody out wearing something that wasn't fashionable, they could just be a hipster. Well, I think it's kind of funny because it was playing into those stereotypes of all or stereotypes of all teenage girls know what's fashionable. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, teenage girls do kind of run pop culture a little bit. Because think about when something gets really, really popular. It's because the teenage girls like it. I, I, that's why I thought that was kind of funny. It was like, you know, she didn't have to hone her energy, which she probably did. But she was able to do it, too, because she was perceptive. She's a detective. 
Yeah. Yeah. So right. she goes searching for Willow and, and conveniently finds a chair that she can rip off a leg and fashion a stake. And it breaks off perfectly, too. Well, she has super strength. You might not know that yet, but she's incredibly strong. No, you'd have to be to fight vampires. But no, what I mean is like, it just happened to break in the right way that it makes a perfect stake. No, she's a slayer and has slayer strength and knows the exact place to break it to make a stake. Okay, we'll go with that. I don't know if that's true. I'm just being... Apparently the only person you can trash talk on the Buffyverse, according to Lacey, is Is Xander. Xander. (laughs) Everyone else is held. Xander and a couple of other characters in the future, but... You cannot trash Buffy. Everything she does is great. Well, in this season. No, never mind. No, because she's a slayer... Wood just automatically senses it and breaks in the right way. All wood kind tree of. branches and everything. But yeah, so she makes this stake. She's searching for Willow. It's kind of like the equivalent of the, the detective sneaking around the dark corridors with his gun. Yes. And so she's like, she's kind of like slowly approaching and she has the stake. And who does she grab an almost stake? But Cordelia. Which comes to one of my favorite favorite lines in the episode. Yeah. I love this line so much. Trauma. <laughs> What is what, what is it? What is your life's trauma? I actually pulled it up because I thought it was so damn funny. Oh no, she has another line that I really like at this point. Uh, well, is it the excuse me? I've got to call everyone I've ever met. Yes. Cordelia goes. What is your childhood trauma? <laughs> it's like if RuPaul watched the episode and was like, I wonder if I could create a whole series around that one line. <laughs> But yeah, just her whole reaction is great because she's just like, what is wrong with you? Now I have to tell everyone. Um, And she literally like has minions that just follow her. Yeah, because she's Cordelia. Buffy, somehow, how does she get on the trail of them? Um, I can't remember exactly how she gets on the trail. I think it just happened because Xander comes and runs into her, her and then Xander's like, you're a slayer or something like that. Yeah, so there's some kind of confrontation with Xander. We just watched this. I don't know why. I can't remember it. There is something, like that happens and she walks out. Xander follows her and is like, I know you're a slayer. And she's like, what? No, I'm not. And he's like, no, you, you are. And they have it back and forth. This dude is going to take Willow to an ice cream place that is... Yeah. In the cemetery because he knows a shortcut. If a guy says he knows a shortcut and it's through a cemetery, don't go. Yeah, but Willow doesn't know better at this time. Also, was it a nice cemetery? I don't know. I didn't see much of it. I mean, it was a semi-nice cemetery. I don't know. I don't go to them a lot. But yeah, but um, when Xander and Buffy were, were having their back and forth, somehow he was convinced to go help her. So it is now Buffy and Xander looking for Willow and the DeBarge vampire. So they do end up finding them. And Jesse has also been taken by the the vampire who ate the guy in the beginning. Yeah, because we see in when they're back in the club, we see Jesse talking to Darla which is her name. I don't know if we know that yet. We'll probably know it very soon, but her name is Darla. And so he's just found a girl that will talk to him. So he's doing well because he just, he has a huge crush on Cordelia, but she doesn't give him the time of day. And then Darla comes around and she's beautiful and very interested in him. But it is because she needs to bring back food for the master, who I don't think we've really even talked about, but we've had some snippets of him throughout the episode. Um, He has this almost religious cult following him that um, have raised him out of a pool of blood. Which is the only way I'm entering places from now on. I think I literally said the same thing when I watched the episode today. It's like, this is the only way I enter a room now. Bring my pool of blood 
<laughs> we're the risers but yeah and he has a little group of devoted followers one is darla one is luke who is just this big really scary looking vampire dude he's huge and has a creep really creepy voice i don't think we ever see him in non-vamp mode do we no he is always he's always vamp the reason that they were out in the bronze and bringing people back is because the master needs food because he is not strong enough yet. And so he needs to replenish himself with blood in order to take over Sunnydale. Cause I think something there's like a, a, there's like a veil keeping him like a force fill or something, keeping him in and he has to be strong enough to get through it. Some point in the second part, we find out he tried to open the hell mouth with a portal and it went wrong. And so he somehow got trapped in this. They they said like a bottle. So he's trapped under Sunnydale in this area and there's a force field that won't let him out. And this right. harvest, he gets to like anoint somebody who will go and feed and all the energy goes to him so then he'll be able to break out and take over the world reign of the vampires eat all the humans yes because the vampires have just been waiting for the animals to die off so they can take control of the world once more yeah. but that is why willow jesse and now buffy and xander are all in the cemetery and all in this crypt buffy is able to fight the vampires and willow and Xander and Jesse are running away. And... Yeah, she stakes the DeBarge vampire. Yeah. And I think that because they were totally underestimating her up to that point, Darla was. Because she was like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then she kills the one vampire. And then Darla starts getting shaken. And she's about to stake Darla when Luke, the really big, scary vampire, comes in and grabs her by the neck and just kind of throws her like a ragdoll and makes a comment to Darla, something about, um, you run along, I'll see if I can handle the little girl. Because Buffy was monologuing. Don't monologue. Oh, yeah, she was fully in full... Because um, she almost goes into this performative mode when she's fighting vampires because it's very much this thing, this disarming, like, I'm going to be very quippy and then I'm stabbing you. Yeah. It's like so like, hey, I'm so unafraid of you that this is just very casual. This is Friday night for me. Which is why she got attacked by Luke. He throws her into, oh, he knocks the lid off of this um, coffin. Thing. Coffin, yeah. And throws her into it and then jumps on top of her. And that's how that episode ends. Yeah, but he the tension is built so beautifully because he throws her in. He first throws her into it, like throws her back first into it and then throws her in. And then she's just laying there looking up and nothing's there. So she tries to start getting out. And that's when he jumps in with her. And the last thing you see is him right on top of her about to bite her. And that's where the first episode ends. And exactly where the second episode picks back up. Where we see that the cross that her friend gave her is what saves her because as Luke is going to like grab her neck to bite her he grabs the cross and it burns his hand no i'm gonna go off on a rant about the intro again because literally it's like musically it starts off like really really like and then all of a sudden the electric guitar comes in and it's just you know very like and then just it just gets even 
faster and more intense. And it's like in the middle of battle, you're at the top of battle, and then all of a sudden Buffy kicks someone's ass, and it's like, down, down, down. It literally tells the whole damn story of Buffy the fucking Vampire Slayer in a song. That's cool. That's I, that's what I feel like a theme song is supposed to do. No, literally, I love the beginning of the episode because it shows, you know, Buffy being able to break out and also be a little smart about it. She knows that in this moment, in this setting, can she win a fight against Luke? Probably not. Not without maybe getting seriously hurt. So she books it. Plus, she also hears that her friends are in danger. She makes the decision to... A, get herself out of that shitty situation, and then go and help her friends. There are definitely times to live to fight another day. Like, you don't have to do your last stand every time. Sometimes the the call is to get out of there. No, and you'll notice that, like, when you continue watching, you'll notice that about Buffy. Buffy either goes into fights knowing that she is going to win or that I'm ready to die so we can win. It's it's pretty interesting. She is able to save Willow and Xander, but they get Jesse. Yeah, they get Jesse. Darla gets Jesse and takes him to the master. Which is fine. I still like Darla better than I like Jesse in this episode. This is also when she kind of becomes a viable threat to the master because now Luke, who is his strongest follower, like literally probably in faith and in muscle, she has beaten him and got and got the upper hand on him. And I can't remember exactly what he says, but um, the master goes, I can't remember the last time that happened. happened. And he's like, 1896, Madrid. He caught me when I was sleeping. Yeah. I can't remember what year it was, but it was, it was a long time ago. So the fact that he has been beaten is one thing, but also beaten by a teenage girl is a very big um, shock to the system for all of them. Well, all Slayers are women, right? Yeah, because that's when they were finally like, because at first they just thought she was some stupid teenager that thought she was the shit, but then after they saw her fight and saw her ability to take them down, essentially, then they were like, this could be a Slayer. Because that was the the only other time he was beaten by a Slayer, which obviously the Slayer wasn't able to kill him or he wouldn't be there now. Even like, folklore outside of Buffy slayers are meant to be young like teenage girls I think interesting yeah I read that somewhere if someone wants to correct me go for it but I've never heard of any folklore around like a slayer I thought he made that up I don't know. Maybe it wasn't called a slayer, but they were like vampire hunters. And see, the only vampire hunter I've ever heard of is Von Helsing, and that's a man. No, I could maybe. I don't. I mean, cite your resources or your references, but I don't. I could just be pulling stuff out of my ass. I just remember thinking I heard that somewhere. I don't like that language on my podcast. Sorry. That's really gross, Carl. Don't do that. It's horrible to watch too. not hygienic anyway yeah most mostly it's always dudes you know it's the virgin that everybody's after the damsel in distress or something like that the women never get to kick but or they're the witches that you gotta burn yeah women are always victims witches or bait which leads us into what the master decides to do with jesse because um after learning that she is probably a slayer he wants to set a trap for her because she knows that jesse is her friend so he makes a comment to jesse 
about, I thought you were just going to be a meal, but you've been upgraded to bait. This time, it's a dude that's bait. They have collected back at school the next day in the library. They're kind of giving Xander and Willow the lowdown as to what's going on. And poor Willow, she's like, can I sit down? And they tell her you are sitting down. And she says, oh, good for me. <laughs> it's that's so willow here's a couple of those like oh is it okay if i pass out breathe okay breathe uh, breathe we find out that she is a hacker able to work on that confounded machine as giles calls it or that box or he has some term for the computer that shows his disdain for it it's a very british term yeah he he definitely goes because after they kind of reveal the whole world of vampires and demons and all of the all of those things then um they're talking about where vampires like to live or where they go and they like tunnels tunnel system and so they say, they start talking about all these the tunnel sunnydale tunnel system for like the electric grid or something and they're like oh we need the blueprints and i guess we go down to the city office that'll take too long and that's when we find out that Willow can hack into the system. And then Giles says a bunch of things. I can't really remember what it was, but he says a lot of things that basically boil down to, I want you to help get on the net or something like that. Like when the internet was still called the net. But his response is, oh, I'm sorry. Was that terribly British of me? That's a... F was a funny thing because it was one of those things that was kind of like hey this is an american trying to write something to sound very british yes but this is also where we start seeing the quote-unquote scooby game forming because willow has something thing that she can add to the group xander wants to help buffy fight and buffy is making it very clear to him he is not going to fight she is going by herself and he is not going to be put in danger and he is very resentful of that how dare a woman tell him what to do yeah because he because he's like no jesse's my friend he's my responsibility and she's like no he's not he's mine and really puts him in his place because normally when you have a guy doing that in any type of show they're like okay well come on and help or something like that but she straight up shuts him down because she says, I'm the Slayer, not you. And he's like, yeah, thanks for reminding me. And it's one of those things, it's like, two days ago, you didn't even know that existed. So why are you being a little bitch? Yeah, so this is just the start of that song and dance with, with Xander. Because it happens a lot. No, Xander, that happens constantly. And it's not just about being the Slayer. It's about, oh, I can't be the Slayer. I can't be the love interest. I can't be the best friend. There's even an episode... In the future where he's not he's trying to compete to be the best xander so are there multiple xanders it's a whole thing but the thing that you need to take away from this is xander has an inferiority complex and he's constantly feeling like he has to prove he's a man it's very toxic that's really annoying yes it's welcome to xander because it's like you want to love him because he's one of the originals but a lot of times you just want to smack him and i mean he has redeeming moments and such yeah but it doesn't outweigh just because in the beginning you can forgive it because it's a 16 year old boy whose friend has been kidnapped and he just wants to help so you can kind of understand it when it keeps going and continuing and this is going on for years and years you're like dude just 
find something else to do. Find some way, find another way to offer yourself to this group instead of trying to do it on your terms. Like yeah. he does not get the memo. And him and Buffy are constantly at odds about that. Like it isn't until the comic book where he kind of comes in his own. Yes. Wow. Part of that is because Nicholas Brendan wasn't playing anymore. But <laughs> there. Anywho, so Buffy is going to start tracking down Luke. And she's going to walk out this gate at school, just saunter <laughs> out, and the principal stops her and is like, hey, it's your second day. You're not cutting class, are you? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I was going to go get a book for the librarian. He goes, well, I don't know how they do it in Britain, but we don't do that here. And so he like closes the gate and locks it. And this shot is so, I don't want to say the word iconic, but it's just great because all it is is a shot of her feet. The feet come out of frame and then all of a sudden she's on the other side of the fence. That it's basically hinting that she has super jumpy powers. Super strength and super jumpy powers. Super bouncy. So she jumps over the fence so that she can go start looking for Jesse. They figure out that the entrance to these underground tunnels is in this crypt where they were fighting. And she goes there and who does she meet but her tall dark stranger. Yeah, this is such a weird interaction because they don't really have any chemistry at this point. And he doesn't even know what he's saying because she's like, you're not going with me. He goes, I'm scared. But it doesn't sound like he's actually scared. It sounds like he's mocking her. I think... Make a case for his bad acting. I can make a case, but judging by the first two episodes, I can't make a case. Because of how he's acting, you kind of find out why he's like that in the next few episodes. I don't know that, but okay. She asks if he... He does give her directions how to get to the master's lair. But then he's like, you're not going, are you? It is weird. And so she kicks the doors open and then he disappears. Well, and they have this, oh, it's so cheesy because she goes, wish me luck. And he doesn't say anything. So she's just like, okay. And she takes off. And then he goes, good luck. Like as soon as she leaves, I'm like, it, it's the weirdest interaction. I don't understand it. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Because yeah. I don't think he understood what he was doing. No, I, I guess I really can't apologize. Like, I mean, I'm an angel apologist. Don't get me wrong. I forgive him. But this acting in the beginning, it's like he just, he hasn't gotten his handle on the character yet. He's gorgeous, but he hasn't, he hasn't become Angel yet. Yeah. They're like, can you act? I don't know, but I can walk my dog. You're hired. He figures it out. So she goes underground and hears something and guess who followed her? Xander. You put an X and an A, an N and a D, an E and an R. That spells Xander. He just couldn't let her go by herself. Again, this is a common theme that happens a lot. But they find Jesse, and he seems like he's alive. He's unhurt. They're walking because he's like, okay, we're going to get out of here. He leads them to a dead end in the tunnel system, and that's when you realize that he's a vampire because he fully vamps. They get trapped. Buffy has to use her super strength to, like, pry this grate off so they can climb up and get out in a vampire grabs her and is pulling her down. Xander has to pull her up so that the vampire's hand gets in the sunlight and it burns him and then they're free. Yeah, they barely manage to escape, but they do. Um, But the master is not helped. And he punishes one of the vampires by literally poking his eyes out. See it, but you know it happened. Well, he says, you have something in your eye. And then it's a close-up on, like, his very pointy fingernail and shooting forward. And then you hear, 
It's so gross. This is when the harvest is going to happen. So like Laura mentioned, the master needs a vessel because he can't go above ground ground yet. Luke, his disciple, becomes the vessel for him. He has to drink some of the master's blood and the master draws this symbol on his forehead. It's all real nice. And Giles goes into the backstory with Willow about the master. So like when he came to the Hellmouth and what he was trying to do. And then he, because that's when he says that he thinks that Sunnydale is a Hellmouth or something like that. And then he was swallowed up by an earthquake. And that's why he's trapped underground now. But it used to be a church. That's what he's stuck in. So, but now he's trapped underground. But what he's trying to do is open the Hellmouth so that vampires and demons can take over the earth again. They also explain the origin of vampires which is very interesting yeah go into that it was a little bit of a different origin than what i've heard before but basically a human who was possessed by a demon drank some blood and then became a vampire and then they just basically kept the strain going by infecting new people they go they go into a lot of the origins of that stuff so the master has been stuck underground for 60 years waiting for this once in a century harvest so that he can open the hell mouth once luke has been anointed for this job they're going to go to the most obvious place the bronze because it's it's no cover night which is wrong because i saw people paying the bouncer oh no maybe it was for drugs okay (laughs) i don't know just that was terrible anywho that doesn't really matter but i think the shot of them walking up to the club is so cool it's in slow motion and darla in her little schoolgirl outfit is leading the pack and they are fully vamped out and it's it kind of shows the realization because the the bouncer doesn't see them so they're just walking up fully vamped and then they're kind of upon the bronze before anyone knows what is happening they get inside. Oh, yeah. Jesse comes and finds Cordelia right away. I think it asks her to dance or something. And she no, tells. No, he just grabs her. He's like, Excuse me. And he goes, Shut up. And she's like, Okay. And then she's like, Oh, I guess maybe one dance. Yeah, it was kind of a weird thing, too. And you get kind of that toxic stuff happening where it's like a man being an asshole to a woman and she's receptive to it. But also, vampires are supposed to have like an allure and stuff. So maybe. Yeah, and I think. That was it too. They go up on stage and they cut the lights out and they're like, guess what, guys? You're going to be sacrificed tonight. This is awesome. Oh, Laura, that's how you enter a room. Yeah. No, but so Buffy knows what's going to happen. She figures it out. So she's stopping by her house because she's got to pick up weapons because this is going to be a big fight. But her mom, as soon as she walks in, grounds her. Because she cut class on her second day of a new school. Yeah, because Principal Flutie ratted her out to Joyce. Which it's like, okay, yeah, we're all looking after Buffy's well-being, but you guys don't have the full story. You know, and so Joyce is scared that Buffy is falling into old patterns and is going to end up doing some unsavory behavior again. And so she's trying to ground her and trying to control her and keep her in the house. Buffy climbs out the second window after getting her weapons and leaves. They show up at the club, but the door's barred. They can't get in. So she tells Giles, Willow, and Xander to find another way in, get the back door open and get people out and she'll find her own way in. Yeah, meanwhile, Luke and all of the followers are bringing up people one by one while Luke 
eats them. And the poor Bowser is the first one. Yeah. Felt bad for him. But I guess starting with a kid would not look good on a TV show. So they start with an adult. Buffy is able to get in through the roof somehow. I didn't exactly see. Mm -hmm. She's up like in the catwalk. She just throws this other vampire down on the stage to announce that she's there. It's one of the things I love about Buffy because like Carl said, she either goes into a fight knowing she's going to win or she goes in going, I'm willing to die so we can win and it's just this confidence that she has that she knows no matter what happens she's going to win and it actually not to talk about future episodes too much but in the future it shows that when buffy doesn't have that confidence kind of what happens to the group in those situations but and now it's easy for her to do because every vampire she's come up against she's beat So she does kind of have this really strong confidence about her when she's dealing with these vampires. So she does do these showy things to announce herself. And Xander has been warned that Jesse is not his friend and he needs to be prepared for that, which of course he's not. Yeah, he doesn't listen at all. When they do get in and, you know, they're able to get the people out, he finds Jesse and he has the stake. Jesse is like, no man, that guy that I used to be, he's a loser. I'm awesome now. And oh what are you gonna do you're gonna stake me with that and he's gonna he's about to take Xander out and somebody bumps into him and mashes him into the stake yeah it's like the most comedic death but it also is kind of a pivotal part point in Xander's character development because this is kind of what starts his prejudice and resentment of vampires because he lost his best friend it's it's funny like don't get me wrong it's a really comedic scene but it also is the origin of a lot of issues Xander has later on. I mean, I think I'd have some issues with vampires if one of them killed my best friend, but you know. Right, right. It just, I, I think in Xander also, it's kind of like, he's like the, the other side of the mirror, because it's like where something can make you really strong and resilient. Sometimes things can make you resentful and make you feel a certain way towards someone, or you know what I mean? So it just, it kind of shows how grief and loss and trauma can affect people differently. And it doesn't affect Xander in the greatest ways. He's also just a very, he comes from a very toxic home and he's a very toxic person. So, but it's just, it, it, it kind of shows what happens when someone takes that route. Luke has said he wants Buffy. Buffy's like, okay, yeah, come and get me. Yeah. They have some fights, but he does get her. And it looks like she's been beaten. He's too strong. He's he's holding her. He's got her from behind and got her hands trapped. As he goes down to bite her, she head butts him with the back of her head and sends him flying. She picks up like a music stand or a mic stand or something. Throws it through a window. Yeah, he tells her metal can't hurt me and she said, well, you forgot about daylight. And so this light starts pouring in, but it's just a light outside. And so she stakes him and says, but you forgot about daylight in six hours. Yeah, because he, the thing is, is so he's expecting daylight, so he reacts as if it is daylight. So he's expecting the burn or the searing pain and now that none of it comes but he's taken off guard and allows her to get the jump on him again this time she gets him and so the master is stuck his hand had started to go through like this portal or this force field that was keeping him trapped and then it solidifies again and he can't get through no but also yes (laughs) right no and also just to so everyone knows what happens to darla darla tries to take out giles but willow pours holy water on her because willow's amazing yeah so giles survives 
but Darla does escape and she will be back. Not to be spoiling anything, but we do see Darla a few more times. And so we do get to see them at school the next day talking about, oh, we've saved the world for now. And Oh, can we also really quick just mention that the whole time this is happening, Angel's just like kind of watching it from afar. And he doesn't intervene at all to help. He's like clearly like, oh, this girl can handle herself kind of thing. It was just kind of funny. I missed that. It's pretty quick. Yeah, it's quick. But you can just see like the acknowledgement that it's like, oh, wow, she is the Slayer. The next morning, they're all surprised because everyone's trying to make sense of what's happened. So everyone's like in denial. They're like, oh, it must have been like two rival gangs or like their faces were messed up. I don't know what they were into. And they're just trying to make sense of everything. And what they can't make sense of, they're just forgetting. Giles is kind of telling them like, that's what humans do. It's like we make sense of what we can and then we we forget what we can't. Willow says, I'm never going to forget that. So they're walking in this group kind of talking about this event that happened. And you can see that it's something that's bonded them. Giles does warn Buffy and Willow and Xander that this isn't the last they're going to see of the master. And this isn't the last bad that's going to happen. You know, be ready. There's going to be more coming. The end. The end. But also, they're so nonchalant about it because they like, you know, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah. He turns around and goes... Earth is doomed and walks off. Yeah. Because they're just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. But yeah, that's where, that is where the two hour pilot, two episode pilot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer ends. And I really do think it is such a strong opening for a show. Yeah, it is. It's very engaging. It sets up who the characters are, what the world is like. And leaves the book open for the story to continue. Really well, actually, because you're just like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. But you also get to see how the friend group is going to function and kind of the roles everyone more or less is going to serve, which are a little bit different from what you expected maybe in the beginning. Here's a question. How do you feel about the spinoff sequel that is rumored to be in development? I mean, I'm all for things being rebooted and giving it a fresh perspective. I mean, I don't think they're ever going to match the original. I welcome them to try because I would love more Buffy. I like it because like we were talking about earlier, I do want younger kids to have an appreciation for this because it is, and it's like, the show that really set the bar for so many other shows like it. Well, and this is going to have a female showrunner and a woman of color. Yeah, and I think that was the thing missing from the original Buffy. I love Joss Whedon's work. Don't love him as a person, but he has created some really, some of my favorite shows. That is something where I felt a disconnect because sometimes you could just feel when the dialogue and the choices that maybe someone would make weren't quite what a, a girl may make. Not saying it's right or wrong, or you know, there's a stereotypical choice, but I think having the female gaze on it is going to add a new depth to it. And I'm excited to see see how it does. You I know, think we're in for a more multi-dimensional Buffy because Buffy already had so many layers to her. But I think putting it in the hands of a woman is going to bring it in a whole new light. I could see that. And it says spinoff sequel. So I don't know that it would be Buffy. It would probably, I'm thinking they're going to expand the Slayer world. And that will be kind of easy to do because once you get to season seven, you'll know what I mean by that. You know your pie in the face question that you ask people? Yes. Joss Whedon is who I would give my pie in the face to. He needs one. That's fair. 
Yeah, because he also, he has such a formula to his work and his writing. Buffy was really the first thing, it wasn't the first thing that he did, but it was like the first really popular thing that he did. It was the first time that you saw a lot of those things that he uses a lot happen. Now it's like, you know, someone in a Joss Whedon show that you love will die. Yes, as the catalyst for all the other people to start working together to accomplish whatever. Yeah, and and th- and Buffy is no exception to that, and I will not tell you anything more or when it happens or who it is. But it blindsided the shit out of me, and I was so mad. He did it in both of his Avengers movies. Yep, he Firefly. does. It- yep, Firefly. I didn't finish Dollhouse, so I don't know if he did it in season two of Dollhouse or not. I think he did. I can't remember, but I think he did. And don't get me wrong, I love Dollhouse. I love Firefly. Yeah. But but yeah, he's got this formula. Also, he's kind of a, a scumbag and I don't like him as a person. So that's why he gets pie in the face. It's like, I'm very thankful for Buffy and for Dollhouse and other shows like it. But yeah, I've, I'm excited to see Buffy directed by a woman. What is your grade on this? For this for this opening pilot episode or episodes, I would give it an A. I think it's like you said, it introduces everything perfectly. It sets up the show and it's really fun to watch. And I think Buffy was just a groundbreaking moment in television. So for that, it earns the A for me. And it is it is one of my favorite shows. I mean, I'll just give it a B plus simply because they needed more people of color. You know what? That's true. But That's I understand true. it was of the times. So B plus is actually very high for what I would give it because yeah. it's excellent. Yeah, because that time it was diversity and that veil hadn't even been approached. It was just getting women on TV. And that's the thing I have to understand is that at that point, the fact that we had a female lead that was someone as amazing as Buffy Summers mm-hmm. is pretty damn awesome. So. Like it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be the thing where white women come first or anything like no. that. It shouldn't be that at all. So it should have had more diversity. I hate saying diversity, but it should have had more representation of how the world looks. Because I think the only person of color that I can really remember was the bouncer, who was the first to get eaten. So that kind of sucks. A little bit. Yeah, and I think he had like one line. Yeah, if if that, and then he was just the sacrificial lamb. So, and that's something, that's, that's common throughout a lot of WB shows. People in the public became more aware of it. It wasn't a priority. And it definitely wasn't a priority in 97. No, it was all about... And I mean, this isn't a, this is half bad, half good, though. But it was about the best actors for that point and what would sell. And unfortunately... Well, and that's what sells is teenage white girls. Yeah. But it's like now our tastes in media are so different that I think having Buffy be a woman of color would be so cool. Like they brought back Charmed and had the sisters be women of color. They were Latinx. Like I think that's something that we could definitely see. Yeah. Well, How about you? Because I just I'm so excited to know like all of your thoughts about this and, and your rating. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was super fun. Like I said, I knew a little bit because how can you not know a little bit about, you know, what's considered to be one of the greatest TV shows ever made? But I didn't know much. And Which is so just a feat. Also, I don't like Sarah Michelle Gellar. I 
don't think she's a very good actor. I don't enjoy her in things. So that was another reason why I never wanted to watch this. But I like her in this. That's the thing that you're going to come to understand is everything you know about Sarah Michelle Gellar up to this point is not Buffy. Buffy will be the greatest thing she's probably ever done. And, And I liked it. And I liked the characters. Xander was very annoying. I did want to punch him in the face. It doesn't get better. Hmm. Yeah, he flip-flops between like, oh, you're supposed to feel kind of sorry for him because, oh, he's the awkward guy. But then he would do the things like, yeah, keep reminding me that I'm not the Slayer. It's like, shut up. It's like Xander is a good person. He is a good person, but Xander has a lot of toxicity in his life that he does not deal with. And the one time in the series where he doesn't have that toxicity to him is a pretty awesome moment where he gets in a fight with one of his friends. Oh, yeah. he. D- I mean... Because the thing is, is, is Xander does have redeemable moments, but Xander, Xander does be, can be a problematic fave. Yeah. For sure. Which honestly isn't too far off from how a lot of real friend groups exist. Well, that's the thing too. It's like these people are friends for a very long, these characters are friends for a very long time. And you do see the ups and downs and you do see the tension between Buffy and Xander grow. Because they do disagree on a lot. But at the end of the day, even if they're disagreeing, until we get to the end, they are a united front. I really enjoyed it. I loved the 90s clothes and the slang and just the the throwback to things like the softer side of Sears. I mean, I hadn't thought about that slogan in forever because why would you? Yeah, but did it give you the Wiggins? Oh, when she said, I have to book... No, I have, no, I have I a, book. a book. Was, yeah, I something. Book. My thought was, no, you don't have a book. You didn't get anything from the library. And then I was like, oh, oh, she means she's booking it. She's leaving. Oh, geez. <laughs> no, I love it. It's just because this was the the time when I was growing up that I was really idolizing teenagers. So this is how I remembered teenagers growing up. So I kind of love reliving that. The hair and the makeup and all of that, just it was such a great kind of nostalgic return. I feel like it's a very, very strong pilot. A B plus or an A, which I know are basically the same thing. So that's what I'm going with. Okay, and here's the better question. Are you going to continue watching? Yes, I am. Oh my gosh. Every episode you watch, you've got to call me and we've got to talk about it. Okay. Because I love this show. Like, I'm sitting here trying to decide what my favorite show is because I always say that Scrubs is my favorite show of all time, but Buffy is- Puts up a fight. It puts up a good fight because I just, I love it. And But the thing, well, I guess Scrubs can be too. It's like, it's just, there are so many things that are outdated and viewpoints and problematic situations that happen that kind of turn me off. But it's like when that early Buffy, when you just get into that heyday, oh, it's so great. No, I would put Buffy up with Lost and Breaking Bad for me. So. Yeah, Buffy is just, it is a timeless favorite. I will come back to again and again. And I'm so glad we got to talk about it today. I'm glad that I didn't let my prejudice against it stop us anymore. And I'm so excited because I finally got to pick something. I've had two picks. And it's so exciting. So what's your recommendation aside from watching more Buffy? So yeah, just keep watching Buffy. There are a couple ways that you could go with this. But um, the first thing that I want to recommend is if you really in-depth analysis and insight on episodes, there is a really great podcast called Slayer Fest 98. And it is hosted by it is hosted by Ian Carlos 
Thomas Crawford. And it used to be um, him and a couple other friends, but now it seems like it's kind of a rotating cast of um, co-hosts. But it's just, they go in depth on, like we go in depth on stuff, they go in depth in depth on every aspect of Buffy. They talk about how, you know, they came to watch Buffy, what they think about things and what they think it means. And they really do a good job about just analyzing the show. I I haven't listened to it in a while, but I would listen to that and then rewatch the episodes and it just provided so much more knowledge. So I would definitely, if you're interested in learning more about Buffy, that would be a great podcast to, to listen to. And they're funny. Oh my gosh. It's so funny to listen to. I really want to be friends with all of them. Well, sounds like I might have to start listening to that. But And it's also a queer Latinx podcast too. So it's a really great perspective. Oh, nice. But I love it because in the first episode, two of the um, hosts say that their moms are who got them into the show and that it would be something they would watch with their mom. And I thought that was so cute. Yeah, I love that because our mom wouldn't have watched this with us. Although she wants to watch it now. She watched the pilot with me um, a few months ago and she really liked it. Yeah, she did. Well, she's also obsessed with Supernatural now. And this, I feel like, is a very good companion piece to Supernatural. Yeah, I, it's all in that fandom kind of world, so I think she's going to love it. Yeah, I was trying to rem- remember my Buffy origin story, but I can't remember the first time I watched it, but I think it was because of my friend Dupin, because that's his one of his favorite shows. I think I've been watching it now, I think I watched it for the first time like seven or eight years ago. I can't remember the first time I watched it all the way. Yeah, but ever since then, I've pretty much watched the series through at least once a year. So Dupin really likes Buffy and really likes Veronica Mars. I think he's yeah. got a thing for blonde detective but kicking chicks. Yeah. But that would, but so sorry to get off topic, but so my that would be my first recommendation is Slayerfest 98 and you can find them on iTunes. And then my other recommendation would be the comic because they have a season eight, a season nine season. I don't remember like, I think they're still producing and coming out, but it just continues the story. And I've read season eight and I really want to get my hands on the other ones. So hopefully after this quarantine is over, I can do that. Carl, what's your recommendation? What's funny is that you actually brought up one of my recommendations. I, you know, it's based in a different world, a less supernatural world. But I, if you're watching Buffy and you haven't watched Veronica Mars, you you have to. I think it's just they complement each other so much because one is based in reality and one is based in a science fiction reality. I do get the feeling that if they existed in the same world, I think they would be friends or at least they would be um, collaborators. You could also, if you wanted to go with another Rob Thomas uh, blonde, but with a more supernatural twist, iZombie. iZombie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Liv Moore. Liv Moore and Buffy could totally hang out. Oh, my gosh. Great crossover ideas, guys. And, Lara, what's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend that you start writing your Buffy, Veronica, Mars, Liv Moore fan fiction. That implies that it's going to get sexy. And while I'm not opposed to that, I don't know if I want to be the writer of it. <laughs> oh, no. I was just thinking that they would start, like, their own detective club or something. And That actually would be a really great show. But a sexy detective you, club you have a, you have a detective you have a per- private investigator a zombie and a vampire hunter that all like fight crime to, and the paranormal together that would be pretty awesome if anyone writes that i know 
that we need to come back and look at the date of this. And when that thing comes out, because I'm almost positive that comes out, it is because I'm saying it right now. This could make a really good comic book series. We should write it. Um, I would love to write it because I'm already excited. Okay, cool. Obviously, it can't be those characters. We have to make up our own. But anyway. It can be the same kind of characters. Those are archetypes. You can't keep people from writing about vampire killers and stuff. It's like how the woman wrote Fifty Shades of Grey based on Twilight or whatever. Yeah. It'll just be the same thing except not kinky, which is fine. It can be kinky. I just, I'm still sexually repressed enough that I don't know that I could write that. Maybe this is my sexual awakening. I don't know. Well, you have fun with that. I'll let you know how it goes. Well, I have two recommendations. One is the TV show Grimm from 2011. Oh, such a good show. I That's one of my favorite shows. It was created by Stephen Carpenter, Jim Koff, and David Greenwalt. And it follows Portland homicide detective Nick Burkhart and his partner as they fight these... Well, they solve mysteries, they fight these grim characters the like Vessin. grim fairy tale characters yeah they're they're um it says the latest line of guardians who are sworn to keep the balance between humanity and mythological creatures known as the Vessin. the um, Vessin. it has an amazing cast it starts off as like a monster of the week type show and then it goes on to become more of a kind of like how buffy was where they do solve individual crimes but there's a big overarching plot in each season and the cast is amazing bitsy tulak russell hornsby silas ware mitchell sasha rios reggie lee brie turner claire coffee and there's a lot of really strong um, female characters in this as well yeah we loved grim so much that we took a family vacation up to seattle and portland so we could go to portland to see where they filmed at certain locations and to see uh silas ware mitchell and um Oh, what's his name? Sasha Roy's in Three Days of Rain. Which was an amazing show, by the way. It was so good. No, because that's where I first um, was introduced to the actor Lisa Datz, who was in who was in the show with them. And we still follow each other on Instagram. Oh, that's fun. She was like, amazing in that. She was amazing. She is so nice. And she has a new sh- uh, film coming out that um, actually one of the stars is Silas Ware Mitchell. It's called Life of Riley. And Ooh. she's, I think she's... She's written it. She's going to direct and star. Well, I will be watching that. Yeah. Yeah. I keep up with her and she's, I'm so excited to see that. But yeah, she, she's just been a lovely person and we've just kept in touch all these years just because I happened to tweet her and tell her that I loved her performance. So I really love that. That, that was such a good trip too. It was a really fun trip. But my second <laughs> recommendation is a movie called The Vampire Effect from 2003, directed Mm -hmm. by Dante Lam and Donnie Yen, and it stars Charlene Choi, Gillian Chung, and Ekin Cheng, Cheng? C-H-E-N-G. I'm so sorry for pronouncing people's names wrong. But this is really, really fun. This is what IMDb had to say about it, which is not exactly right, but close. It's a high-kicking battle on the dark side when an ace vampire slayer and his beautiful sidekick wage the ultimate martial arts showdown with one of the most dangerous of the undead. Ooh, heavy. It's kind of like a comedy action vampire movie. Basically, yeah, this guy's a vampire hunter his partner gets killed, so he starts training a new partner. His sister oh, falls in love with the lead vampire, not knowing that he's a vampire. And then for some reason, the sister and the new partner kind of 
have a feud and so there's some amazing fight scenes between them because for some reason they just like start fighting as soon as they meet that sounds really good yeah and jackie chan has a small part in it as an ambulance driver awesome and what was the title called in America, it was called the Vampire Effect. It was called the Twin Effect overseas. Okay, so the Vampire Effect. No, I just want to know so I can look it up. Is it streaming anywhere? I don't know, but I have the DVD, so I can bring it to you. Excellent. Yes, on your weekly delivery of DVDs that you throw at me. Yes, yes, we're still in quarantine, so um, we I'll take Lacey some DVDs from my physical media collection and be like, hey, you should watch these and like leave them on her doorstep for her well no but it's provided some entertainment because it has gotten boring so having a new movie to watch and getting to have movie night every night has been something that we've looked forward to do you want to tell them about your signature cocktail for this episode sure so lard i like to make a signature cocktail for every episode So this one was created out of necessity because we didn't have a lot and we needed to make something. So what we came up with is something that I like to call the Sunnydale Slayer Punch. And you make this delicious cocktail with vodka. So you can either do, I made two at once. So it was two shots of vodka. Um, I had some Deep Eddie's like lemonade vodka, which was really, really good. So I used some of that and regular vodka. Then I used the juice of two lemons and I made a really delicious strawberry simple syrup, which is so easy to make. If you can boil water, you can make simple syrup. It's a cup of water, a cup of sugar, and as much strawberries as you want. Some recipes call for like two cups. I just threw in some frozen strawberries, brought it to a boil, then reduced the heat, let it simmer for five minutes, and it makes this really delicious strawberry syrup. And I did, I had like a little like ladle, and I think I did two or three ladles of that into a shaker with ice and the vodka and the lemon juice. Shook it all up, poured it into a glass, and topped the glasses off with some grapefruit sparkling water. And it is probably the best cocktail I have ever made. Carl, want to weigh in? Like, I don't drink. I'm one of those guys that, that really does not drink too much. I was chugging this because it was so damn good. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't put more vodka because I think, I don't know that we could have done the podcast. No, nah, that would have been interesting. We both slammed them. They were so good. Yep. So it's basically a strawberry lemonade vodka cocktail. Well, when this is all over, you're making me one. It's perfect for summer. And it would be something, I think it'd be really easy to make a big batch of it, like a punch, which it's funny for two reasons, because it's it's kind of a punch, but also like a punch because Buffy punches people. It's a Slayer punch, because it packs a punch. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't take it. But yeah, it would be a perfect cocktail for summer, because it was really light and refreshing and, and sweet and delicious. Very nice. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect time if you were thinking about contributing to the Patreon. We, for a limited time, are going to be sending out some extra things. So if you contribute at the $5 a month level, we will, in addition to getting all of our bonus episodes, we will send you a Fatal Fem sticker and button too wow a sticker and a button both so yeah and if you really enjoyed this week's guest you can venmo him money at carl gonzalez 
and just say in the note what you want him to do, and he will do it. That makes it sound like you're a hooker. Or an assassin. Or both. Both. Are you a sex assassin? A sex assassin. Oh, that's going to make my lisp come out. Sex. No. Sex. 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 money from the patreon that just goes to pay for the hosting fees for the podcast we don't take any money or anything from that it just all of it goes to um paying for the monthly cost of having the website and the hosting for the episodes yeah just keeping the lights on I know everybody is in hard times right now so if you find yourself there too just keep your head up We'll get there. And just keep listening to episodes because they are sure to make you feel better, at least make you think, gee, my life is better than theirs. Yeah. And so either way, you get something out of it. And leave us a review, please. I want to say thank you to Freak of the Month for leaving us such a nice review. It was so lovely. It really touched us. And it's really nice to have something up besides a bad review. Yeah, because, I mean, opinions are fine, but it's nice to have one that likes us. So... Thank you so much. And we will do something special for you if you, ew, Carl, no. And if you leave us a good review, we will we'll maybe suggest a little surprise. So, yeah. And thank you to everybody who does listen to us. And go world. We're going to make it. Okay. And this has been Fatal Femme and Marvelous Man. Oh, no. I thought it was the yeah. Malevolent Man. I've changed it again. Despite that, I would like to thank Carl for being our guest this week. You were such a nice guest, but I feel like you didn't talk that much. Oh, I really thought I did. You had great points, but I feel I felt like you didn't talk as much. But I'm happy you were on because I love that you love Buffy as much as I do. No, I do. I I don't know. Y'all were just making some awesome points, and I just caught myself listening to y'all more, honestly. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks. It's going to take me forever to edit all of him out of this. Thank you for listening That's to this fair. episode. Of yeah, Fatal the things we do to make you like us on Facebook and follow yeah, us I'd on like to Twitter tell and Instagram. Actually, Fatal no, this is recording. We just wanted to waste Have two hours of your life. Shoot us an email at fatalfilmspodcast.com. Who's stupid? Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever you do. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.